Thank you for joining us today on Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob and Patty. Yes. The dynamic trio <laughs> in the trio and the house today, bringing you another conversation about identity. Specifically, we're talking about how we act. How we behave, yes. Did you guys feel slighted that I didn't let you chime in on the intro there? Not me. Can I just break this table? I'm so upset. It <laughs> is a test of your emergency broadcasting system to check to see how mature you are. Oh, I passed. Quite you did, ironically. You, you did pass, but accidentally. Actually, Patty actually passed because she's connecting with her emotions from our last episode. Oh, that's true. And, now, but and we, she she cool. language that she wanted to break the table, which is perfectly okay. Because you just I don't, didn't actually do you it. You don't want to break the table. And you said it was okay, giving me the impression that but it's I okay to break to my break table. table. Those of you who are listening, I wish you could see Rob's face right now because <laughs> he appears to think that he's been wrong, like he's wrong. So there's this like there's this like this weepy puppy dog face, like he missed out. <laughs> Well, welcome. We, we're glad that you joined us in today's conversation. And um, this is the last episode that we're talking on a, a four-part series on maturity and intimacy. But we've been speaking about identity. Yeah. And we broke down the idea of identity into three parts. How you think, feel, and act. Yep. And so in prior episodes, we've covered the, the emotions and the thinking, the brain. And today we're talking about how we behave or how we specifically act. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be good. Um, a little pre-recording conversation included some KJ52. If you've ever listened to his song, A Coke and a Fry and a Cheeseburger, um, you know what we're talking about. If you haven't, you need to look that up. <laughs> And um, he's just a rapper. It was right? new for me. It was new. It's important to, to be exposed to new I musical it. genres. It right? made me dance. Yep. Yes. I, I saw a little like movement in the chair. Yep. Rob was playing the air drums. Yes. That was exciting. Um, and so, yeah, as we are continuing this conversation, um, just to conceptualize this a little bit so our listeners who've been listening to us don't get lost in the weeds, um, we did talk about authority um, we did that um, in episode seven. Then we talked about the brain, how we think in episode eight. And then last time we talked about emotions, how we feel, episode nine. And then in episode 10, you know, I kind of feel like we've reached a, a, you know, a level of prestige by getting out of single digit episodes. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. Well, world domination is our goal. <laughs> As a podcaster. How's that going for you? I think we're up to like 26 followers. Cool. <laughs> I'm pretty excited One about that. One step at a time. Exactly. Don't forsake small beginnings. So, Dr. Rob, um, this is something that in your People Helping People material that you originated, I know you've gotten material, but how does our behavior relate to our identity? I think of it as the... Um, Front line of identity, right? Our mannerisms, the way we respond, the ability to uh, act, think, and feel. It's really hard to see a person think 
And you might say that based on their behavior because they're, they're, you know, their face, their focus, their gaze. Feelings can be expressed in behavior. Mm-hmm. I cry, I break a table, what have you. Um, and in our culture, behavior is the identifying feature of our personalities through our mannerisms. You, I act a certain way. Um, this was painfully clear in a situation where I was at a relative's funeral and he was well-liked. So there was probably about 150 or so people packed into a small funeral home. And a woman came up to me and she identified me by name and I didn't know who she was. And then she proceeded in that group to pick out my two sisters and my brother. And then she told me how she did it. She said, I recognize your man. I recognize the four of your mannerisms that I knew in your parents. And my parents have been dead for years. So um, she knew she somehow, she knew my folks well enough to be able to transpose their mannerisms into the four of us. Mm, yeah. And that has stuck with me. So that to me is that behavioral identity kind of piece. It, the thinking and the feeling kind of funnel down into the facade of behavior, and that's how we recognize things. Yeah, you, I like the, the front of our identity is our behavior. Yes. You can't hide. Even if I stay quiet, my body language can show kind of that passive aggressiveness, if you will, like stonewalling, for example. Yeah. The silent treatment is not silent. No. It's actually pretty loud. So behavior is something that gives us away. I think so. In terms of our identity, in terms of our maturity versus immaturity. Oh, definitely. You'll see that with behavior. That's, that's, that's probably the most obvious marker. You know, we started with breaking the table. If Patty actually broke the table... That's an immature response. That's an inappropriate mismanagement of her emotion. It would have been interesting to experience. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially this table, which is a new table that you bought. It and still I think, can be done. And I, and I think it's made out of marble, so it's got to be heavy. So I it would like heavy. to see. I mean, Patty's got hi-ya. some. Yeah. She, she just did a karate chop. So that behavior piece with, with Patty... It, it would reflect what she's thinking and feeling. She broke the table. But I'm going to focus on the fact that, oh, her actions broke the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I see. Mm-hmm. It's an extension of or an expression of. You know, I think of the other side of the equation, which is maybe a person like us, just because Patty breaks the table doesn't mean that I have to react to that in my own behavior. Yes. I can show my maturity by not freaking out. Right. And maybe be in a position to seek to understand why she's upset. Yeah, that and would be a mature Instead response. of focusing on the broken table and like starting to yell at her and criticize her and blame her, I could actually look behind the behavior to find out what's going on. That would be, in my mind, the appropriate thing to do. So we're talking, we're going beyond identity and into self-control then. 
what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Do I have the self-control to not break the table? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually our next topic. I know. So you're kind of you're kind of connecting dots. That's I cool. I love doing that. I still love it connecting helped. the dots. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, this is definitely I think Dr. Rob, this is a self-control issue. But specifically for today's episode conversation, we're talking about how this is related to our identity. Yeah. And I, so so how is how is our acting connected or related to our life, to who we are in our life, maybe like our role? So our role, there's the word uh, that comes to my mind is congruency, right? If how I think, acting, and feel is congruent, then, I mean, it can be in an unhealthy way congruent, but in a healthy way, then how I think, act, and feel is aligned, there's a, there's a synchronizing of how I act, think, and feel. And in our role and in our culture, we talk about if I'm a plumber or if I'm a doctor, we value performance, sports, all these other things. So in our role there in, and in our culture, there's this gap between um, being a human being versus a human doing. We've heard that before, right? Mm-hmm. So our role and behavior in it generally focuses or emphasize on how I perform or how I do. Mm -hmm. Did I answer your question? Yeah. I mean, the idea I'm getting is that we find our identity in our role. Definitely. And in terms of the idea of acting, so I'm acting out my identity in the roles that I play. Yes. Right. And the immature version of that, I would assume would be I'm trying to find my identity or my validation in what I do versus who I am. Yeah. Then behavior is connected to an external, let's say external locus of control. When my emotions, when my thoughts are determined by outside forces, my behavior will probably reflect that. Would you be able to provide an example that would kind of picture what you're describing um maybe in your own life with your wife (laughs) (laughs) she's in the next room i know i could always get her on the phone (laughs) she'd have a lot of a lot of examples i'm sure yeah word the question to me again well the idea of your identity from the immature standpoint of behavior yeah being part of your identity can you see that immature version as an example and of course i chose to put you on the spot with your relationship with your wife yeah so early on in our marriage um i struggled with anger and yet from my perception there wasn't a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So I just saw it as, okay, this is how you express anger. You could call names or you could, I don't generally throw things, but have this eruption mm-hmm. uh, emotionally and verbally, um, psychologically, if you will. I also saw myself as justified in that anger and and I would farm out um, 
control of my emotions to her. You made me angry. The behaviors that followed, the, the immature and unhealthy behaviors that followed, were an expression of that you made me angry. Mm-hmm. I did not take responsibility for how I act, think, and felt. When I learned to do that, I then began to, to Patty's earlier point, be self-controlled, uh, deal with my emotions, because now I could connect the dots emotionally, and I was congruent. So that's where the word congruent comes in. When I was inappropriate with my expression of anger, I didn't see myself as immature, but that's exactly what I was. I wasn't appropriate. I didn't know how to manage that that relational yeah, component. Yeah, you, you, you didn't know. No. You were congruent based on ignorance. I was dysfunctionally congruent. Isn't that cool how we just validated incongruency? Yes, it is, I think. Did we just do that, Patty? I, I actually, I'm kind of lost. There's Me a too. lot here. There is. So I do have some questions. Well, at least one question. So you're saying you can act and your action will kind of give you away as being immature. Yes. In this sense. Um, but people misunderstand other people's actions all the time. And there are some people that even purposefully act in a specific way as to give a certain impression, even though their thinking and feeling is completely different. Right. That's the incongruency. So it gets really confusing. Yeah, I I simplify it. We've kind of complicated it. But when when I when the standard of behavior is health and maturity, then behaviorally speaking, there's going to be a greater it's not all or nothing. You, nobody can do this completely 100% of the time, but there's going to be a greater congruency with how I act, think, and feel, and there's going to be a greater authenticity in my expression, behaviorally and emotionally. When you're dysfunctional, you might have an alignment of those three, but the expression behaviorally, which is generally what you see, is not congruent. So I say I like you, but I really don't like you. Mm-hmm. And that incongruency In this model, I think of as immaturity or a fragmented identity, right? So when how I act, think, and feel is fragmented, I can rationalize unhealthy behaviors and expressions and actually believe on some level that there's nothing wrong with me. And so if we are working toward maturity, we are working towards that wholeness that you often speak about, Matt. Mm Mm-hmm. So that our acting, thinking, I mean, our thinking, feeling, whatever order it is that we do it, is all congruent. Exactly. And that congruency is expressed in my behavior. Okay. I like you. I act like I like you. I want what's in your best interest. As opposed to a manipulative, dysfunctional, I like you because I want something from you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do like the thought that I'm referring back to our episode last time on our outline. We showed the firing order being different 
at different times for different people. Can you touch base with that again? Because it is confusing because we're trying to maybe establish a thought in this conversation about the congruency of thinking, feeling, and acting, but that doesn't mean one leads versus the other. It can often be a variety of combinations. Totally. It's fluid yet sequential, but the sequence of it is personal. So I might be a thinker and that's kind of like how I view the world. I think about it. uh, I then might act on what I'm thinking about and then let feelings kind of bring up um, the rear or like my firing order is generally I feel Mm -hmm. I, I then try to think about it and then I act. But my first pass at experience in life or a relationship or a situation is I'm probably going to feel it, mm-hmm. you know? And I think I mentioned last time, Sandy will think about it first. So her, her brain and the way she experiences life through identity is she's got to process it and then she may feel it and then she may act. So there, it's just, it's not one firing, firing order is superior to the other. The determining factor is what I do with it, how I respond. Am I responding in a healthy way? And are they fairly congruent? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then you can identify within yourself when your thinking or feeling is incongruent or even your actions are incongruent. Yeah, that's and it a, kind of puts a flag out there for you to look at. Yeah, that's a self-awareness piece, right? And mature people are self-aware. They're not self-absorbed. They're self-aware. So it's not that they're perfect. No. They will have feelings. They will get angry. They will be sad and everything. But in how they process and then present it to the world, there's a congruency. Yeah. And and it maturity reflects is reflected in that behavioral component. And we know mannerisms. Like in the story, she was able to pick four of us out of a group of 100-plus people. And when she introduced herself, she it turns out that she was, like my mom and dad's, one of their closest friends, even before the four of us were born. So she had an she had an intimate working knowledge of my parents and their marriage and, and their personalities. And she saw reflected in the four of us, their mannerisms. Wow. And so really that influence or authority over all of you and your siblings came out even subconsciously in your mannerisms. Yeah. Yeah. That's something to think about too. Hey, you, I know. You you are the sum total of the influences that have been in your life. Like yeah. When did I become my mother or right. my father? I often ask myself this question, especially as I raised my own kids. Yeah. And and from an identity perspective, that's not unusual. We want what is better for our kids and then you're into self worth and self esteem, some issues like that, but the reality from my perspective is that I can't, I don't know if I can say it any better. The behaviors, the behaviors of an individual reflect the internal. 
So the internal processes of thinking and feeling are reflected through our behavior. In our culture, I think it was you, Matt, who um, says we, we confuse activity with progress, right? And it's all the activity, the behavioral things that we can see, job performance, you know, and then we kind of casually throw in attitude or we assume that attitude and behaviors are one and the same. So you'll see in job performance, well, you performed really good, but your attitude stunk. So I'm not giving you a five-star rating or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, the idea that, that, you know, moving the deck chairs on the Titanic is not a pro- productive strategy. Yeah. To save the boat, right? And, um, you know, I understand that my life and the way I impact people is what they will be impressed by. Not, I'm not saying in a good sense, just the impression right. that I leave people will be what they remember. They won't remember what I said, but they will remember how they felt when they experienced me. And what you've done to facilitate that feeling. And that's the most important thing I'm taking away from this process of maturity is to think about how people feel when they leave my presence. Yeah. And from my perspective, I think about the synchronizing or the congruency between how I act, think, and feel from a healthy vantage point. It isn't one over the other. It's from an identity perspective it's all three working together, like your heart, your lungs, your kidneys. They mm-hmm. all have a different role, right? But which one do you want to live without? That's not, that's, that's a moot point. I'm nodding in agreement. Yes. Mm-hmm. All of it. Yeah, I, I think that's a very powerful point that I'm taking away, again, is that they all are synchronized mm-hmm. at all times. There's not... One does not take a break. No. They're going to interreact and, and they're going to function together. Okay. That makes sense. I feel led to share my story on Saturday about going to Mooville. Have you guys ever been to Mooville? I have. Up I have in, as well. Uh, up in Nashville? Yeah. Yeah. Saturday night tradition at our home is to take a drive, my wife and I, um, in the evening because driving through the country is just wonderful. And then we drive up north, go to Mooville. My favorite ice cream is mint chocolate chip. And I'm kind of routine in that way where my wife is always on the hunt for the best possible chocolate ice cream. Like she likes chunks, things like that. Why do I bring this up? Because I was feeling like I wanted ice cream. And then I decided to invite her to go. And then I experienced the delight of the ice cream. Mm-hmm. all my senses were engaged and synchronized. Right. But this is not really related to our conversation. This is just me talking about my ice cream. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it was behavior and thinking and feeling and the interaction of those portions of your identity. You're a person who likes ice cream. Mint chocolate chip ice cream. I'm not going to hold that. You know why? Because I like every spoonful to have the little pieces of chocolate. I like uniformity and they do a really good job. But I also think I bring it up 
because it's tradition for my wife and I. So our choices or our behavior creates some sense of delight in that we get to share that time and that experience together. I'm kind of a big guy on tradition. Tradition is important, and it's also got a behavioral component. That practice of going to Mooville or looking at finding the best chocolate, those kind of behaviors are are connected to your identities, mm-hmm. right? And and part of that, what you're talking about, educates those who are close to you on, okay, you like that ice cream enough to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's a it's a it's a compulsion. <laughs> Maybe it's just short of an addiction. Well, let's do this. Let's go to our third point of this conversation about how does our thinking and feeling really affect our behavior? So in a different way, not so much from our roles in life, but really in our actual practice of our choices. Like, for example, in an argument, conflict is very common in human interaction, whether we're talking about you and your spouse you and your significant other, your child, your dog, like my golden retriever, Odin, or really a work colleague or a boss or whatever. Conflict is very common. And oftentimes in the midst of conflict, there's arguing or fighting. And then you have the complexity of trying to keep everybody aligned, the the thinking, feeling, and acting in ways that's constructive. So I really believe... I've got to manage that. Yeah. The aggressive conflict, like I used um, my anger early on, there was an expression. There was no mystery in Sandy's mind that I was angry. She could tell by my behaviors. The thoughts and the feelings behind that, because anger is a secondary emotion, generally were unhealthy you know, insecurities or feeling threatened or, and so that feeling threatened and expressed itself. Conflict is, to your point, not the problem. It's the mismanagement of conflict. And the mismanagement of conflict is brought to us by immaturity. Well, and again, it's important to qualify that conflict is just the differences between two individuals' perspective. Yeah. Arguing and fighting, which is honestly foolishness, it's not wisdom because it's not it's not constructive. Right. The ultimate goal for conflict is to listen and to understand your partner's point of view. And that facilitates growth. And so the thinking aspect of our identity has to include some really good questions. Like where are they coming from? Did they intend for me to respond angrily? Did they want to make me angry? What what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Or with self with, with like real-time self-assessment, ooh, wow, that was an angry thought I just shared through my behavior. I need to stop the conversation, apologize, and reframe what I said so my partner doesn't feel threatened by my lack of self-control. See, I can, I can make a mistake, like break the table, but then own it right after I've done it, but my partner wants to make sure they don't keep doing it. So it's important to own it, be aware, but then make sure that it's shaping your future decision-making and your behavior. Well, We also talked about how, why the thinking part of it 
seems to disappear when we are in conflict or at least experiencing heightened emotion. That goes back to the brain, right? It does. It goes back to the brain biology. When you think of when you think of a trigger, right? The emotional a lot of times with trauma or some would say all the time that the emotion has the ability to override the thinking. And so in a conflict when emotion overrides the thinking, that gets manifested in typically inappropriate behavior. And so what you what you strive for with maturity is a balance or an integration of how I think and feel that involves that component of self-control and appropriate expression behaviorally so that you know I'm safe. You know that I'm regulating my behavior. I'm not throwing um, something against the wall. I'm not punching the wall or worse yet, hitting someone else. So that integration of those three and the proper in a maturity model that we're talking about, um, congruency of those three in a healthy way, they com- that communicates a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, as we have, in a sense, just summarized through what you just shared, Rob, as we're now at 30 minutes, believe it or not, um, time goes quickly. Uh, we don't want to oversteer this ship. We'll let our listeners take in what they've heard and um, you know, allow you to form your own thoughts and, and opinions and then maybe find somebody to talk to and work this out. But the journey, the road map that we're on is seeking to become more mature so we can be intimate. And when we think about the authority figures that have spoken into our life and our identity, that's what we've just finished is the three parts to our identity. Next time we're going to talk about self-worth, what you consider to be your value in the world that you live in. So that will be our next episode topic. But as always, any closing thoughts in this episode on how we act, how we behave based on our thinking and feeling? Vanilla is the best flavor (laughs) because it has the most possibilities of becoming anything you want, including mint chocolate chip. Wow. I just, that's, that's like drop the mic. (laughs) Just I just thought it, I thought it was so ordinary vanilla, but now it's like the basis for all possibilities. You just blew me away. My ice cream philosophy. You're welcome. (laughs) Dr. Rob, anything profound to beat that one? I am. I have nothing. <laughs> I have nothing. Well, we hope that somehow you find in your conversation how to share your favorite ice cream story, <laughs> and um, to understand the the glory of becoming mature on this journey of life. What a journey it is! I'm glad that I've got two friends here at this table that's not broken to find maturity. I would echo that. All right. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day wherever that is.